covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as the Brewers are playing some pretty good baseball right now. And we've got a lot to get into here over the next, uh, we'll see how we go. It's only about an hour or so here on the podcast. But we'll just go as the podcast takes us. As always, our housekeeping items here at the top. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking review and also subscribe to the podcast, that would be fantastic. And uh, if you uh, need to get in contact with me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, is the best way to do so. Brewers picked up a win on Sunday over the Pirates by a 5-2 score. And with that, they complete a series sweep of Pittsburgh, their first sweep against the Pirates in September of 2019. And they are continuing to play great baseball. 17-4 over the last 21 in game, 21 games. 14-2 in their last 16. 9-1 in their last 10. They've gone from being two games under 500 to 11 games over. In their last 10 home games, they're 9-1, and one, and they are on a seven-game home winning streak with the Cincinnati Reds coming in for a three-game series that's going to begin on Monday. The Brewers have been doing this, and they've been winning games. Really, the, the pitching continues to just perform at a very, very high level. They're getting enough hits. Their offense still isn't anything to write home about, but the offense is better than what it was. They're hitting a bit better, I think, as a team. Uh, they're at 213. Again, that's, there's nothing special about a team that's hitting 213 overall, but the 213 looks better than 210. It looks better than 211. It's at least trending in an upward direction. So that is that is noteworthy. And even in games that they get out hit, you know, Sunday's game, they got doubled in hits 10 to 5, but they're, they're doing a little bit more when runners get on base. And clearly, um, not so much in the Pittsburgh series. They hit one home run on Sunday, but they've kind of been stifled in terms of uh, the long ball throughout much of the Pittsburgh series. But overall, they have been hitting more home runs. And this is a team that needs to hit home runs. Uh, There's going to be times where the narrative about this team, and I'm already hearing from folks about it, where it feels like they're too reliant on the home run. I think Major League Baseball as a whole is too reliant on the home run. But that's a conversation for another time and place. Although, and we're uh, Ashton Rotman is our featured conversation uh, this week, a uh, normal, a frequent visitor here to uh, Brewers Extra is the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We are going to discuss the uh, the crackdown that either has started or certainly is going to be coming from Major League Baseball when it comes to the use of foreign substances by pitchers and Maybe maybe that will impact things in baseball where it's not going to be so much a home run or bus mentality. Maybe that's going to change things where more contact is being made and you're able to put together more innings where you move the line. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I think run scoring will go up, but I also don't feel like that we're going to see a bunch more rallies come together. But again, yeah, we'll discuss that coming up uh, later on in the program. It continues to be just remarkable what this team has done since they acquired Willie Adamas. And he's now played 21 games with the Brewers through Sunday's action. He's hitting 280 with three home runs, 14 RBIs, 
on base at 357, slugging at 467, OPS at 824, just putting together really good numbers, providing can you guess what the next word I'm going to use is because you can't talk about Willie Adamas without using this word energy continues to bring a ton a ton a ton of energy has he just seems like a positive force that this team really needed and maybe they didn't even know that they that team they needed that but it's been a really good thing being able to uh, to have him available for the club. I thought it was interesting. Pat Murphy, who uh, managed for uh, Craig Council, because Craig Council was attending the high school graduation of his oldest son on uh, on Sunday. Uh, Pat Murphy mentioned the fa- mentioned the fact that he feels like uh, Adamas has even impacted someone like Avisao Garcia, and Garcia was having a perfectly fine season. He was having a very good season prior to the arrival of Adamas. But Murphy kind of went out of his way to talk about how Garcia. Uh, really having Adamus around, it's been a positive impact for him. So it, um, it the trade, and this is no disrespect meant to J.P. Fireisen or Drew Rasmussen. Fireisen pitched really well for the Brewers, and he's really pitching well right now for Tampa Bay. Rasmussen's a guy that I absolutely believe is going to turn into a very, very good uh, Major League relief pitcher. He's been at AAA uh, with Tampa Bay and has put up really big numbers there. Uh, with with all due respect to those guys, to trade some relief pitching for a shortstop and a shortstop that has the production so far through 21 games that the Brewers are getting out of Adamas, to me, that's a trade that so far the Brewers have won. We'll see how everything plays out, and I think you can always there's always a shelf life on a trade until you actually know who won. But if you give me the opportunity to trade a couple bullpen arms for a shortstop that puts up the numbers that Adamus is uh, putting up, almost no matter how good those bullpen arms are, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to go with taking taking the shortstop. So, uh, so far, that's been a good trade for the Brewers. It has certainly worked out well. They did make another trade this past week. This one's interesting. And I've mentioned this a lot on the Brewers Extra Innings postgame show because there are people out there who – even even the people who appreciate what Willie Adamas has brought this team, there are, there are still people out there that are very, very concerned about the Brewers' bullpen. And I get the sense that some don't love the Adamas trade because they value the pitching that they were going to get, the Brewers were going to get, from Fire Eisen and Rasmussen over the production from Adamas. I disagree with that, but I think there are people out there that that believe that. And one of the reasons that I really think everything's going to be okay, and, and I've said this a million times, and I'm, we're going to talk about it with Ashton later on, so this is this is not going to be even the only time you hear it on this podcast, and you're going to hear it over and over and over if you listen to uh, anything else that, that I'm really involved in. The Brewers have a track record of bringing in relief pitchers mid-season and then being very, very successful. And perhaps they did that this past week because they go out and they acquire Hunter Strickland. He had been designated for assignment by the Angels. They acquire him for cash considerations. And uh, essentially what that means is they took Strickland's salary off the hook for the, for the Angels, or at least a portion of the salary, because they would have been uh, they would have been completely on the hook had he cleared waivers and then uh, been claimed by uh, not claimed but been cleared by on waivers and then if he if if he would have gone to free agency uh, or even if he would have accepted the assignment to AAA, uh, he could have still been owed the money that he was paid. So the Brewers take take some of the salaries, maybe all the salary. I don't I, that that hasn't been made public as far as I know. 
uh, and they they acquire Strickland. Strickland had very, very, very much struggled in his nine appearances with the Angels, where he pitched to almost a 10 ERA, 9.95. He had given up uh, seven, no, check that, nine runs, seven earned, and six and a third innings. But when you look at what he had done earlier in the season, he pitched his first 13 games of the year at Tampa Bay, where he pitched to a 1.69 ERA. So the Brewers possibly go go get that guy, get the guy who is pitching to a 1.69 ERA in, in Tampa Bay. And more often than not, not 100% of the time, but more often than not when the Brewers are kind of able to get their hands on a pitcher and start showing them the information they have and uh, start talking to them about the approach that they want them to take and things like that, more often than not, that pitcher turns into a better pitcher. So let's wait and see what the Hunter Strickland acquisition looks like as the year goes along. And is he going to be pitching high leverage innings at the end of the year? Maybe he's not with the team at the end of the year. It was a a low-risk type acquisition for the Brewers to be able to get Strickland, but they they find guys, they acquire guys who they're able to put into the bullpen and get success with. So uh, you never want to lose players that you have control on for multiple years, but I think the Brewers are going to be okay from a bullpen perspective because they've got that track record of being pretty good. So, yeah, they're playing good baseball right now. That's um, They're hitting a little bit more. Pitching is continuing to uh, to do what it needs to do. Pretty good defensive team. They have an air here and an air there, uh, but they make a, a lot of really high-level defensive plays as well. I think there's a lot of reason to be excited. The only thing that's a little bit frustrating if you're a Brewers fan, I think, it's that, you know, the Brewers are playing all these teams with uh, sub-500 records. They're basically a straight month against teams that have losing records. And they're taking advantage of it just as they should take advantage of it. But they are up against a team in the division that also just keeps winning games, and that's the Chicago Cubs. They just got done sweeping a series from the Cardinals. Before that, they had taken uh, two of three from the Padres. So the Cubs are playing good baseball. And you get the sense, uh, you know, I don't I don't cover the Cubs on an everyday basis like I do with the Brewers, but just based off the sound bites I'm hearing and the quotes that I'm seeing, a lot of people kind of had the Cubs for dead at the beginning of the season. And there's there's a lot of character guys on that team and, and winning type guys, guys who are part of uh, a World Series for the Cubs. And you just get the sense that there's almost a this let's let's show you type thing. You know, I, I don't know. Oh, I saw something recently. I don't know if it was Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo, who it was. But one of those guys, you know, really talked about the fact that uh, the way that they're playing, they are hopeful that the front office doesn't try to sell off because they've got a bunch of free agents, uh, and, and the thought process was that if they fall out of contention, they're going to start trading those guys off. Well, they have not fallen out of contention. We're now a month and a half away from the trade deadline. If the Cubs continue to play at the level that they're playing, do they actually go add? Do they do they get rid of the plans to sell off, knowing that they're going to lose some of these players and not get much back for them? It's, it's good questions, and, and here, here the Brewers are continuing to play very good baseball and, and go on this run that they've been on, and uh, they haven't been able to shake the Cubs as the Brewers and the Cubs have the same record of 38-27 and 27 as we are recording this on Sunday night. All right, uh, let's get to our featured conversation. This week it is with uh, Ashton Rotman, 
all things 94.5 ESPN. He's got his hand in just about everything that's going on on the station. He is the producer for uh, the morning show with uh, Jen, Gabe, and Chewy. You can uh, follow him on Twitter as well. Uh, We'll get to that uh, in uh, just a moment. But uh, let's bring him on to the podcast. He is uh, Ashton Rotman. Hey, Ashton. How are you? What's up, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. You are uh, you are like many Wisconsin sports fans. You are half in on baseball and half in on basketball right now. It was a fun Sunday. We're recording this Sunday night. We were talking off air a moment ago. What a what a nice little Sunday for Wisconsin sports fans to see the Bucks win a really important game and see the Brewers complete uh, a series sweep. I'm no kidding. And the way that both of those happened, like the Brewers again, a comeback. And then able to shut the door late with the relievers and, of course, the offense getting the insurance runs. And then the Bucks was just get a lead and hang on for dear life, pun intended, and uh, and just have fun. And uh, both games were a lot of fun to pay attention to on, on the, uh, the dual screen today. I'm, I'm in peak dual screen mode for probably the next two months. I didn't introduce you properly, by the way. Your Twitter handle is at Ashton <laughs> underscore Rotman, A-S-H-T-O-N underscore R-O-T-M-A-N, because you know... It is the standard, it is protocol when you're doing any type of sports podcast, sports radio interview, you have to include the person's uh, Twitter handle before you can go any further, right? I mean, yeah, pretty much, even though, again, I wouldn't recommend anyone follow me. I'm pretty boring on on Twitter these days because I just, just Twitter, that's, you know. Twitter's fun every once in a while. I'll put out a tweet here and there. But uh, Instagram, that's where things are popping for me because that's where I post my food videos. Oh, okay. What's your – I'm not on Instagram. Maybe I need to get on Instagram just to see your food videos. If you want to go on Instagram, it's just Ashton Rotman Sticks. Nice and easy. I posted some some chocolate banana muffins that I made earlier today. Uh, Anytime I I bake something, I post some stuff on there. So if you really want some amateur terrible cooking – I'm your guy. Were you aware of the hot dog eating contest that was going on during the Brewers game? I was made aware of it on Twitter. I did happen to see from the uh, Bally Sports Wisconsin account that uh, Tim Dillard and Dario Melendez were taking part as the coaches. I was understanding it as, but for, they as took the, a few the, down themselves, so they were they, they were okay. player coaches. They they had the combo role. Now my question is, when we do the radio broadcast one, because now we have to, can you and I participate? Can I participate? I really just want to participate. So you and me, could we be captain? So we, we do the role of Tim and, and Dario, us two? But, but we also get to eat the but hot dogs. Th- yeah, they did. Yeah, okay. I just want to eat. The, I just want hot dogs. Do you want some insider information on that uh, hot course, dog eating I've, contest? Always. I don't know if I should say this out loud. Uh, you can edit it later if you want, but I'm I, ready. I can, but I'm not going to. So I was in the uh, I was in the TV booth during much of the uh, Brewers game. And when I say much of it, I mean all of it. And Tim Dillard... <laughs> came in after the contest which he had just won and he accused he accused Dario of cheating by taking hot dogs and there were kids like lined up on the railing next to it like where there's stairs to go down to like a section of seats and Mm -hmm. Dillard accused Dario of taking hot dogs and going and handing them to those kids down the way and reportedly he got caught doing with three and I guess they took three total hot dogs off the count of Team Dario Uh, but based off what Dillard said it sounded like Team Dario may have actually had a few more rogue hot dogs that made their way out of the area but not down the gullets of the competitors. I mean, honestly, the sanctity of hot dog eating and food eating contests everywhere, um, Dario should be banned for that. You can't, like, look, giving kids hot dogs is great, but 
I mean, there's a contest going on. You can't just give out hot dogs all willy nilly uh, just because you want to try and win this contest. There are rules for a reason uh, and they have to be followed. Otherwise, you're just going against everything that our predecessors in food eating like Joey Chestnut um, fought for previously. Have you ever been in a food eating competition? More than just like a buddy challenging you to like eat fifteen somethings, you know, and because you've had a couple too no, many drinks. No, I think the only uh, food eating competition I have been is me and two of my, and my two roommates. One night, um, it doesn't matter why we were doing this, but one night we decided to, eat to see who could eat twelve soft shell tacos fastest. I don't remember who won, uh, but I think we were all losers in the end. <laughs> Fair. I've been in one food eating competition. I think I've told you this story, but I'll, and maybe I've even mentioned it on the podcast. There's that, if you if people look really hard, they can find the video of it. The video, uh, I believe, still lives on the Facebook page of my former radio station. Oh, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I was working in Colorado, and the arena that hosts Colorado College Hockey, mm-hmm. the Broadmoor World Arena, although they're moving into a brand new arena next year. Um, they had this brand new like menu of food that they were going to be offering during Colorado College hockey games. So to promote that, they got a bunch of people from you know TV stations, radio stations, yada yada yada, to come out and do a food eating competition of a bowl of poutine. And poutine, by the way, is delicious. Um, so I was one of the people, and. I was stuck between two areas because, Ashton, I'm kind of a big guy, and yeah. I've battled weight my entire life. I work out really hard. I'm trying to lose weight, yada, yada, yada. It's been that way been for there. a while. So I wanted to win, but I didn't want to win by too much. If yeah, that makes fair. sense. That's a good strategy. Yeah, because I don't want to be that guy that, you know, <laughs> just like destroy. And all you had to do is eat one bowl of poutine, finish it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won, and I could have won by... A lot. I a lot. I slowed down pretty significantly. Instead with, of eating like five curds with a bite, you made like ate like one or two, which is like one French fry instead right. of like several French fries. Yeah, yeah I wanted I to make strategy. I didn't want to be fat guy who just you know everybody else is two bites into their poutine. I'm like done. You know, I, I don't want to be that. So I don't know. I would have. Respe- I, I I almost wonder if people would have respected it more and been like, wow, that's an incredible skill um, for Matthew to have. No. No. <laughs> no. No. All right, let's talk baseball. Um, the Brewers are playing. Let's let's get the exact numbers. The Brewers in their post-game notes. Uh, I want to make sure I get this uh, completely correct because the run that they are on is pretty significant. The, Bre- the Brewers, with the win on Sunday, they complete a three-game sweep of Pittsburgh. That's their first mm-hmm. against the Pirates in September of 2019. They've gone 17 and 4 over the last 21, 14 and 2 in their last 16, 9 and 1 in their last 10. Now they're playing teams that are below 500, but yep. you can only play the teams that are on your schedule and they're doing a very good job of that. What what takeaway do you have because the Brewers were two games under 500 when this run started and with the win today they are 38 and 27, 11 games over 500. So in this period of time, they've played 13 games over 500, which is significant. I, I think the very first thing, and I know, like you said, you can only play teams in front of you, but I do think it's important to mention that aside from the uh, the series against the Padres, which is basically what started this all off, they've played 
bad baseball teams. I, I, and, but I think to go with it, like that's a confidence builder. If you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, that gives you the confidence to, hey, now we can work on some things that are doing through it. The only thing they haven't been able to accomplish in working through some things is Keston Hira. Uh, and that's a whole other story. But like, you have to beat the teams that are in front of you. They took two of four against the Padres in that series. That, that was That's a good sign. If you can split with the Padres, who are having their own rush, rough stretch right now, that's good. You take care of the Diamondbacks. You take care of teams like the Reds, who are 500 to below 500, but hanging in there. You take care of the Nationals, who have the talent, but aren't really doing much. You take care of the Tigers, who are bad. Take care of um, teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates, who they just swept, as you said. Like, You just have to beat who's in front of you. And in June, they're playing a bunch of bad teams. They have seven more games against the Rockies in the, uh, or sorry, uh, was it 10 more games against the Rockies, I think, and the Diamondbacks to close out the month. Like yeah. that's, you just have to win the games that are in front of you. And then you build a hopefully a big enough lead or stay in the race long enough to where everyone else can catch up and you just tread water. Like I, I just think the number one takeaway for me is they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat if they're a playoff team that I think they are. Have you seen the Rockies road record? Have you, have it's, you noticed that? Uh, yes, I was just looking that up. I think it's five and twenty-seven. Um, yeah, they're not good. It's how do you go <laughs> five and twenty? Like that's hard to do. The Diamondbacks aren't much better. They're nine and twenty-seven. Like that's it, those teams at the bottom of the West are very, very bad. Pirates—they've only got ten road wins. Nationals—they only got twelve road wins. Rangers, another team like these. If you have that that little amount for road wins, you're just a, you're a bad baseball team. Like that's, I think that's it's. It's a good indication. If you're losing, if you're losing 27 of your 32 games that you've already played on the road, you're probably going to lose 100 games. Yeah, that's not a good sign. I remember when the Brewers played the Pirates for the first time back in April. It was the mm-hmm. it was just right at the end of the second week of the season, and, and the Brewers lost two of three. And I remember saying this at the time: Look, this is a Pirates team that's not very good, but they just don't know that they're not very good yet, so they're going to kind of mm-hmm. be pesky. And at some point, they're no longer going to be pesky, and they're just going to be bad. It didn't take long for them to go from being pesky to bad. That's one of the, in my years of covering Major League Baseball on an everyday basis like I've done for the last six years, I think it is now here, uh, there are very few teams that are as bad as this version of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, it's funny because you might you look at the Pirates and you say, okay, you know, hey, maybe they've got this, maybe they've got that. They just they don't they and they were in the they were in the the news quote unquote the news this week they were kind of on social media a lot this week for all the terrible things that happened yeah in games that they were playing like they're just I don't want to call them a laughing stock but like at this point you're just watching and laughing at things that happen to pirates games well they and make, I, they're a bad baseball team like that is what it is it really frustrates me when managers just make asinine decisions mm-hmm. and we saw that like there's no reason to do this. They've got a bases-loaded situation, and they let the pitcher hit for himself. But then in the next half mm-hmm. inning, they only let the pitcher pitch to one batter, and they lift him. If there's any chance that you're going to be lifting your pitcher in the next half inning, why in the world are you letting him hit? And that's why, you know, when Craig Council sees a run-scoring opportunity, mm-hmm. more unless it's Brandon Woodruff for Corbin Burns, and they're throwing six shutout innings, and two guys have reached base against them. Unless it's a scenario like that, you're you're bringing up a pinch hitter. You're maybe you're going to end your starting pitcher's day and inning early to take advantage of the run scoring opportunity. And for the Pirates not to do that on Sunday, it just made zero sense. You know, it's funny. Like I wonder how much a manager plays a role in teams that are just talent wise not good. Like how much better. Uh, would the Pirates be with a different manager? How much better would a team like Diamondbacks be if they made a managerial change? Like 
sometimes like that's what I'm saying. Sometimes the talent is just that bad. But when it comes to those little things like that, where it's like, okay, well, that doesn't instill confidence in anybody. If you're just like, oh, well, we're going to take them out anyway, so go ahead and hit for yourself, and hopefully you get through it and do something. And then just you look there at around, look around everyone, like, why are we listening to this guy tell us anything? Yeah. So you know, there's people. You look at the uh, Facebook is such a horrible place when it comes to sports <laughs> comments. Yes, it is. Every once in a while, like on the WTMJ Facebook account, they'll tweet something out about the Brewers, and I'll make the stupid decision to go Goodbye. look at the comments. Yep. And I can't tell you how bad I want to respond to people on there, and I just discipline myself not to not to do it. But you see things all the time like, oh, this team would have 15 more wins if Craig Council wasn't their manager, things like that. I don't think people realize, and we, I've, I say this over and over, the whole adage of everyone six, wins 60, everyone loses 60. So, And there's basically 40 games on the table. So if you think that your manager is responsible for 10 more wins in a season, essentially you're saying that your manager can get you, can win you 25% more of games because that's really all that's on the table. There's 40 winnable or losable games, and those are the games that make or break your season. I think for the Pirates, today was one of those games, maybe, because if they bring a pinch hitter up there and he comes up with a hit, and all of a sudden the lead grows, and you know if it's a if if it's a bases clearing double, and the Pirates probably win that game. So for me today, for the Pirates, that was one of those 40 that was on the table, and they're going to lose almost all of those 40 because of how bad they are. And, you know, I think of a team, uh, David. I one of the teams I like to watch a lot, the White Sox and Tony La Russa, and there's a whole thing with them. But like I, I've watched every single inning of every game this year. Uh, I can count on the number of times that Tony La Russa has probably cost them a win. They have 41 wins on the season. That's also what they do for good teams, the managers. They, it matters. Yeah. It matters. Uh, again, this is why I think Craig Council, as you were talking about earlier, is such a valuable guy to have because more often than not, he's pushing the right button or he's making a risk that you calculate and say, okay, there's a better chance this is going to work out for the Brewers than it's not in the end. Uh, and if you don't have a manager like that, especially in, in today's game, you're just you're in trouble. Yeah, you are. So, do you give Tony Larusa any because I obviously no. the negative stuff for Larusa has been all over the place. I, I always thought as somebody who watched what the Cardinals did, I always thought the thing that Larusa brought was he brought an edge. And mm-hmm. I don't watch the White Sox that closely. It does seem like there's an edge. So I I think Larusa has done a lot of things poorly this year. I think there's been a lot of public relations gaffes. I think it's 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 almost a fireable offense when you don't know the rules to the game. Like there's there's so many negatives, but at the same time, and I'm saying this is someone who doesn't watch every inning of every White Sox game, I do have to wonder that 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 competitive edge, that having a chip on the shoulder, whatever it might be, those things that that us against the world mentality that somehow, some way, Larusa has always been able to install and still in all of his teams, is that there a little bit with the White Sox? I will say I, I don't know how much he has played a role in that. Like if, if you pay attention, anyone that's watched baseball has paid attention over the last two seasons, basically to the White Sox. Like that is that has been their mo. Uh, Tim Anderson leading the charge there. Jose Abreu silently being that guy. Like they. Their team, you hear the word swagger a lot. Like, that's they're one of those teams. And I think the funny thing is, like, I kind of view the Brewers and the White Sox in a similar sense just right now. If I'm looking on the basis, the edge that you're talking about, the, like, the swagger, the confidence level, like, teams need that to be good. The White Sox have had it from day one. They've had it from spring training. The Brewers, um, and this is another thing that I have noticed, again, since the May 22nd, which is when this trade happened, the Willie Adamas thing, I'm fascinated by this. Like he is an average baseball player, but he has played like an all-star in the three weeks that he's been with the Brewers. 
Uh, and as, and he, everyone keeps talking about Willie Adams as a leader, like again, because he's bringing this like unquantifiable thing of leadership and swag and edge. Like that's I, that's how I view with the White Sox. Same thing. If you already have those guys, you're already a step ahead. And whether or not the manager chooses to unleash that or hold it down, that makes another difference. And I think the the White Sox are doing a good job, and to Lewis's credit, for the most part, again, there's Spencer Snappers, but for the most part, of just letting the guys be themselves. And with the Brewers, it's, hey, we've got these guys on our team. Let's go ahead. We need to do something different anyways. Let's try and unleash it. You say Willie Adamas is an average baseball player, and I think I would say he has been an mm-hmm. average baseball player. I think the one thing that I would – he has played really well in this new ballpark, and he has openly talked about how much he hated hitting – at the trial. Yeah. yeah. So his numbers have been average throughout his career. In fact, his numbers this year were bad. They were below average uh, before he got to Milwaukee. But to make the blanket statement he is an average baseball player, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far because I think I don't think it's a fluke at this point what he is doing. And if he continues to put up these kind of numbers, playing half of his games in Milwaukee – He's not an average baseball player. He's an above-average baseball player that was being very adversely affected by his home ballpark. I will agree with that. As you know, big numbers guy. Anyone that's listened to me on this podcast in the back knows that I'm a huge numbers guy. I will 100% agree with that. Uh, I just go by purely, not even purely the numbers. I go by, hey, I've seen this guy play before. I don't think he's anything special. But, again, if you use the numbers and everything to your advantage, if you play in, in at Ampham Field a bunch, if you're getting a, a to face different pitching or pitching that has never faced you before vice versa if you're Willie Adamas right now you're you're getting to see looks that you're like oh I can capitalize on this and before maybe a pitcher can make a read on me I think he's using all that to his advantage right now uh, and he is he has been nothing short of awesome with the Brewers like I I, I don't want to not say that like he has been awesome with the Brewers he is he has been an upgrade in every sense of what they have needed out of that position this season and what expect they expected to have this season probably out of that position I know you appreciate people who can jump really high in the air. How much do you enjoy his uh, his post home run uh, jumping celebrations? I think it's a solid nine and a half out of ten. I think to to get it to be a ten out of ten, I'm going to need him to knock somebody down one of these times. Ooh. Like I just I need him just full aggression. Like oh sorry, I didn't mean to knock you down. I'm just so hyped. So maybe when he eventually hits like a walk off, maybe that'll happen. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Does that person have to be larger than him for it to really get the impact? Ooh. Okay, so let's think of some of these. It's got to be Vogelback. Yeah, you're right. It does. Could you imagine <laughs> that? Like, Vogelback <laughs> somehow gets up in the air, and then, I mean, that's a big, I'm a big dude. I have fallen. Yeah. I know what it's like to be a big person <laughs> yes, falling. I'm also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could you imagine that him going up in the air, and not him falling simply because he stumbled or he's not coordinated, but falling down. Because Adamus straight knocked him over. God, that would be awesome. Could you imagine the social media content that would create? The, the gifts of that? Oh, my God. That would be awesome. Well, uh, see, now I'm just thinking about that. I'm thinking like Avi Garcia would be another candidate for that, even though Avi's slimmed down a bit. Uh, Avi's a good candidate for Omar Narvaez. Um, hmm. Even Lorenzo Kane's kind of a bigger guy. We don't want Lorenzo Kane getting knocked over. <laughs> well, he's probably going to fall down anyways. He's just so, he's so into it. So I don't know. Maybe. There's there's certain certain players who have been a little bit injured this year that you just probably want to avoid <laughs> them leaving the ground if they uh, if they don't need to. That trade is so. The other thing on Adamus is he is a he is a former high level prospect, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm always um, more often than not, the people who do the prospecting get it right. Not every high level prospect makes it, but most of them do. And people sometimes try to glom onto the prospect here, the prospect there that doesn't make it to prove how much of a crapshoot things are. And it's probably more of a crapshoot in baseball than it is other sports. But when we're talking about the high-end, top-level prospects, more often than not, they make it. So the Brewers were able to trade two bullpen arms, Mm -hmm. one of which was kind of a breakthrough guy now in Fire Ison, another guy who is a, a prospect but had not yet put it all together at the big league level, and they were able to acquire a former prospect at a marquee position. And I think that creates an interesting question of like trades in the how how often can you pull that off? You know, because to me it feels like and this is no slight at the guys that the Brewers got rid of and the bullpen is not as strong now as it was when those guys were around, but in no world is two relief pitchers ever equal to a high-end shortstop. It's funny that you mention that because I kind of think of the way that teams are built now, um, not just through the draft, but through the way that uh, prospects come up and, are sent, and options are used, even which is a big thing. Anytime someone gets traded, I think of the first thing, one of the first things that I always look at is if it's a younger guy, I think, okay, how many options does this guy have available? How many options does this guy have left? Uh, what's the possibility that he is going to come up with the team right away or is how he's going to be used in the future? Uh, but I agree with you. I think for the most part, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was shocked that David Stearns was willing to put uh, Firehizen in a trade because he had been so good and because relief pitching is so important, especially with the Brewers and under Craig Council. Um, I was pretty surprised that that was willing to happen. But it was to me, it was also nice to see that they were willing to part with something because they address, they're addressing a need. Something that, okay, we see a clear hole. We think this guy can do it because he's a high prospect, because he has shown flashes in the past. Um, so I was happy to see that they were able to do something like that. I was also surprised, though. Uh, but I agree. I think for the most part, if it's a high-level prospect, more often than not, it's going to pan out. It might not pan out as much as you'd think it would or would hope it would, but it's going to pan out to be an above-average above baseball player for the most part. The other thing is, and, and the Brewers have proven this, you can go get relief pitchers that can cover high-leverage uh-huh. innings. I was yep. just I was naming names off the other day under David Stearns, Matt Arnold, Drew Pomerantz, Anthony Swarzak, Jordan Lyles, uh, Joaquin Soar. Like there's every year there's two or three guys they bring in who end up being seventh, eighth inning, high leverage kind of guys. You mm-hmm. you can go get those guys. They are if if you go into the trade deadline and the only weakness on your team is relief pitching, well, you got lots of guys out there on the trade market that you can go get and they're not going to be that expensive. If you go into the trade deadline and you have a black hole at shortstop, good luck because you're either going to be paying a really pretty price or you're just going to be SOL. I mean, I think about it, Maddie. Like I, I was talking about this with somebody the other day. The Jonathan Scope trade three years ago. Think about that. The way that, that Jonathan Villar has played this season, he's basically still been the same player that he always has been in his stops over the past three seasons. But like, let's say hypothetically, the Brewers don't swing that deal for Jonathan Scope, and they play out the rest of that season with John, with Jonathan Villar. Does it play out any differently? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's worse. Uh, but like, I, I always go back to that trade where I think about it. I'm like. Okay, so they they thought they had something that they needed to fix, and they made a move and tried to do it, and it ultimately, you could say it worked. 
Um, and someone might argue that it didn't work. And that's I just that's the kind of the nature of the trade. Like you look back on some of that stuff, and I think you're a great example. Like the Brewers are a team that is able to go and find these relief pitchers. And every time I think that one of these trade trades for a relief pitcher happens, it's really you just made a trade for a relief pitcher. That's that's what you thought was a need right now is relief pitching. That's what you thought was most important to get than a starting pitcher or than a, a position player or a bat or something. Uh, but every time it's worked. It so has. I, who am I to judge that? Yeah, I just I track record. I'm a big track record guy, and the track record says that this team maybe Hunter Strickland's going to be that guy. They just get him, and he had a great ERA at Tampa Bay. He was really struggling with the Angels. Maybe the Brewers get their hands on him, and I think we're seeing that a little bit with Trevor Richards. You saw him have that bases loaded, mm-hmm. no out situation the other day where he was fantastic. I I really think the Brewers' track record in getting pitchers on a better track than they were at when before they were in the organization is noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree with you 100%. One, uh, this is a, uh, an over overarching baseball topic, not just a Brewers topic, but I think we would be naive if we didn't say that it touched baseball a little bit. But I'll get you out of here on this one. There's been no bigger story nationally in baseball recently than the talk of foreign substances being used by pitchers and baseball is getting ready to crack down. The latest, I think Buster only yep. reported here in the last couple of days that baseball is finalizing the memo that they're going to send to players and teams. And then after that memo is sent out a few days later, there's going to be uh, communication with the umpires about what to do. This could inclu- it will include pitchers being checked as they're coming off the field. We have just with the threat of this, I mean, the memo hasn't even been sent out. It is not a coincidence that in the last week plus across baseball, spin rates are down significantly, Mm -hmm. strikeouts are down, balls are being put in play more. I don't think any of us really know how wide-ranging of an impact the substances on baseballs will have, and maybe we'll start to learn. But it it is noteworthy that here, just, just with the threat of this, Already, we're seeing spin rates across baseball drop significantly. I also, um, how do I broach this? I'm curious why there's not more talk, or at least maybe I'm missing some of it, about the baseballs being changed this year. Yeah. And if there is any impact to pitchers maybe using more, um, trying to doctor balls up differently or if maybe it's just been a different impact for how balls when they're doctored or they're on their hands or however these substances are being used. I'm curious if anyone has thought about how the baseball has been impacted or has impacted the decisions to using this. I guess uh, part of me goes back here and I, I don't want to fully treat this like the steroid thing because I still think I do think it's very different um, but it's, it's the same so you're trying to gain an edge uh, but the idea to me is like this is specifically in the rule book. So what was so, what was stopping things from being enforced like this in the past? Or what, what was the enforcement level like? Why was it so different? And why is it such a big deal now? I thought it was interesting, uh, before you respond to that, I thought it was interesting. Pete Alonso, I think it was earlier this week, or if not late last week, his comments about the free agency class and maybe baseball, this is why this is changing. And look, it sounds crazy, but I don't think it's all that crazy of a theory. If, if there's one player willing to go on record and say it, I bet there's more that are thinking it. Again, that's kind of crazy, but I bet there's more that are thinking it. Yeah, okay, so you just said a lot. Yes, um, I did. And it's, it's hard. So let's, let's kind of go through some of the things you were said. First off, the baseball. Uh, it was very slick last year, mm-hmm. and it was so slick that pitchers had a hard time gripping it. 
and there's there's a thought process out there that pitchers became more aggressive in uses of substance because of how slick the baseball was last year. The baseball's not as slick this year. The seams are a little bit higher this year. So in that way, in some ways, it favors the pitcher. And then combine that with the substances that maybe they started using more on the slicker baseball. You combine the new baseball and the substances, and it becomes that much more crazy in some of the movement that we're seeing. I'm willing to hear that theory as as a reason for why there has been such a drastic change. I'm I'm willing to listen to that and as part of a reason for sure. Okay, so that's one of them. Um, you, I'm trying to remember everything else. That I said you, a lot. I know my my brain just all of a sudden kept going, which is never a good sign for anybody. And then also, um, well, here's here's what here's the big one, and this is where I don't know what baseball does because there are some technically air quote illegal substances that pitchers use not to get spin rate, but to grip the baseball. I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. That they're, they're not worried about spin rate. They just, want, they just want to control the baseball and know where it's going to go. So they're going to use some pine tar or whatever it might be to be able to, uh, to do that. And if you're a hitter, you actually want that because you don't want to get hit in the head by a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. So there is... From a hitter standpoint, you want pitchers to grip the baseball and to be able to have control of where they're going to put it. That's good for pitcher. That's good for hitter. What you don't want is the crazy spin rates. And what I think is going to be the most challenging thing that baseball has to do here is how they make sure that pitchers still have the ability to grip the baseball and control the baseball while at the same time trying to get rid of the substances that are not so much about grip but are more about uh, spin rate. But at the same time, hit-by-pitches are up at an Mm. incredible rate this year. So maybe everything I just said is all for naught because it's not working anyways because these guys are getting hit at a ridiculous pace. You know, it's funny. I think one of the arguments uh, kind of goes with this. I know it's not going to sound like it, but it does, this thought here. Uh, most like anything that I say, um, there's not, there's a lot of conversation about you know why is hitting down or why why are the numbers so down for uh, hitting over the last decade. Even it's like pitchers just also have gotten better. Um, how much of a role that this plays into it, I don't think as much as people maybe want to think. But like pitchers have gotten better. Pitchers throw harder. I was Carlos Rodon in the seventh or eighth inning the other day. I was watching a pitch. Threw a pitch at 100 miles an hour. Like. Nobody does that. Like that's that's a normal thing now in baseball. Is in the later stages of games, starting pitchers are throwing up in the 99s or 100s if they haven't been throwing that even later earlier in the game. Like pitching is just better. Corbin Burns is a great example for me. Like his cutter, uh, I said this the very first start of the year. His cutter just looked different and looked better. Again, maybe this is part of the reason why. Maybe not. I, I just think that there's something to say about pitchers just have gotten better in the science around baseball and developing pitches has gotten a little bit better. So any little substance that goes along with that, yeah, that's going to impact it even that much more so. Yeah, the Brewers have a pitching lab. They don't have a hitting lab. You know, like the, <laughs> there's, uh, I have a hard time believing that baseball will ever be able to have the scientific, data-driven um, improvements and, and just everything that they do with pitching – I don't think you can ever do that with hitting. Okay, like they understand launch angles more. Cool. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. can it go much more than that? 
Um, yes, and I think yes and no. Are you talking just specifically from a hitter's perspective? Yeah. I, I think yes, because you can work on, like, uh, it has more to do for me, though, with, like, your actual physical swing and, and your ability, like, your core, your, your actual, like, muscles. I think it has a lot to do with that. Swing speed is a huge thing. Um, swing radius, even, like, learning how to hit that. But no, other than launch angle and the actual, like, learning to move, do movements with your body, uh, no, you can't put three fingers on the bat and put the pressure on it differently so the bat goes, the bat head goes in a different way. No, you can't do that like you can do with a pitch and put more pressure on your index finger than you would on your, your ring finger. And all of a sudden the ball is just dropping three inches off the plate, but in the last second, like it's, you can't do that with hitters. No, hitters just have to learn. And uh, that is a lot to ask. The, uh, the grip that Adrian Hauser uses, uh, is it on a sinker? The, uh, the middle finger ring finger grip? Mm-hmm. Like, I just sometimes I just like hold it. Like we're we're on Zoom right now, so you can see me. Like I'm just I'm trying to like I have to like, like hold my oh. pinky down <laughs> and just to get those two fingers up. And literally, my ring finger is in pain right now as I do this. I know you can train your thing and you know the the, the stretch and everything, but I just the idea of throwing a pitch where only the middle finger and the ring finger are on the baseball seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world. I mean, I, I used to think as a kid growing up that a circle changeup was too much to deal with because my hand, I could never get it constantly. And I'm like, I can't do this. I would just throw a claw changeup, which is now one of the more popular changeups as well. And I would just put the ball basically almost in a, a palm ball fashion and have my three, my index, my middle, and my ring finger would be on top of it. And I would just grip it differently. Like, I used to think that was an impossible pitch, a circle changeup. But now you got guys doing everything you just explained with Adrian Hauser. Like, how are you supposed to deal with this as a hitter? What do you do? You say, all right, well, hopefully it doesn't drop right in front of me when I'm going to swing. It's, uh, yeah. It's, Let me ask you this, man. Does, does the substance conversation, how do you view it? Are you, do you view it as like this great injustice on baseball or is it like, this just feels like a nuisance to have this in the middle of a season and now we're going through this huge big deal? Um, I'm frustrated that it's been ignored. I feel like baseball is really good at ignoring things. And, yes, then, they are. and then once you can't ignore it anymore, like going at it really hard you know that was steroids ignore 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 hey we're coming off the 93 strike let's have mark mcguire and sammy sosa save baseball oh okay mcguire's got the andro oh wait a minute the andro was actually the uh it was (laughs) it was was the red herring he's got more stuff going on yeah we needed let's all of a sudden you're you're in congress and rafael palmero is shaking his finger at (laughs) congressman like so for me it's why did why did we get to this point? Right. I, if if you want to get it out of the game, to me, what makes sense is, you know, get through the season, start talking about it going into the next year. When umpires go visit at spring training, just let guys know, like give give warning because baseball has turned a blind eye to it. And you know what? When you when you turn a blind eye. It doesn't matter what the rule book says. You are allowing it. If mm-hmm. as the governing body you stop enforcing something, that means that you're, it's, it's allowed. If there is a road out there where the speed limit is 30, but everybody goes 50 and nobody ever gets pulled over, then it's – and the everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, then it's, it's a, then it's a 50. And th- then I feel like that's what's going Ooh. on here. And it, like to keep my analogy going – 
if you're the police, go sit a car out there for a couple weeks and don't pull anybody over and just let people see that, okay, go put one of those big radar things up there that shows your speed as you're going by. Give people the indication that, okay, we're going to start enforcing this rule. And I guess you could argue that's what this period is right now, but it still feels like after not enforcing a rule for years and years and years and talking about the gentleman's agreement, all of a sudden they're just going to jump all in on it. And I just thought of something that I can't believe you and I have not thought of, or at least we haven't publicly shared. Can I guess? Oh, okay. Is it an office reference? <laughs> guess what it is. <laughs> you want to guess? <laughs> Where they've got the speed thing and Michael Scott's <laughs> running and the car goes by? The office, right. There's the scene in the office where they put out Michael Scott, the cold open is Michael Scott is running outside uh, and he is trying to beat the speed limit thing, the speedometer, whatever the heck it's called. Uh, and there's a, the, the one shot camera and I, I'm pretty sure it's Pam that's talking or maybe it's Jim. Uh, maybe it's, it doesn't matter. It's not important. And the person says like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, been a lot of speeding in the neighborhoods. So they thought putting one of these out here would help. And then it's like a pause and it says it's turned into a bit more of, an, of a problem now because Michael and the rest of everyone in the office is just now running to see how fast they are. And it's kind of what this your analogy reminded me of because I think it's perfect. Uh, your analogy of it's like, look, if they think they're fixing a problem by doing this, but everyone's still now reacting aggressively to it, it's like, uh-oh, well, we made this worse somehow. So now we have to go back and fix it. And I don't know what the hell they're going to do. Yeah, and then you had Joe West taking the glo- the hat of Gallegos in the car, and the report from uh, only said that Major League Baseball was livid because they were trying to like be very uh, exact in all the steps that they wanted to take, and then all of a sudden you got Joe West out there confiscating somebody's hat. Yeah, Joe West. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. <clears throat> Joe West. Joe West. Uh, How you- about Joe? The strike zone this week, so uh, man, the strike zone this whole year, dude. Like it's been, uh, you and I could talk about that for hours on one podcast alone. And I, don't, I again, and for that, I wouldn't even know who to blame. Yeah. I don't know if they're being told, hey, you need to expand it, but like it changes game to game. It's frustrating to me. It's it's bad all the time. So it's bad. not just it's not even just bad for one team or one side or home or it's just it's just bad. Larry Vanover was so bad on Friday, and then is it is it Rackley, David Rackley, whoever the Saturday home plate umpire was. Sunday wasn't as bad. I just, I, again, and this, to me, this goes back to the uh, the substancing. Like, how do you fix it? I don't know. No, you, I don't know how you fix it. I think how you do, do you, know how to fix that one. Because... I know how to fix it, but again, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you think that that's a, an overreaction? Like, you wouldn't fans think it's an overreaction, even though there are fans calling for automated strike zones? I'm all for an automated strike zone. Wouldn't people think that's an overreaction, though? Isn't that a, like a too little, too late sort of thing? I don't know. I don't think I so. Hope not. I think you have to get the technology right, and that's what nobody's talking about in all this. And it's actually kind of frustrating to me because when they when they put the automated strike zone in the Atlantic League, was that yep. two years ago when they first it did it? It was two years ago because Greg Masick and I talked to the president uh, right after they had, they had done it for about a month. We talked to the president. I think his name was Rick White. Um, and because we were fa- same thing, we we're fascinated by okay, if you guys are using this, how much longer until the technology is good enough to where it can be brought in to do uh, major league baseball or even to minor league baseball first? And I don't know what kind of improvements or advancements there's been made in two years. Yeah, that's the thing because when it was in the Atlantic League, I remember reading something where essentially the technology was not yet better than a average major league umpire Mm -hmm. it has to be better and look maybe i'm maybe i'm too simplistic here but it to me it feels like it should be really easy you know 
you, you, you have the dimensions of the baseball player. You know what the strike zone is. It feels like this should be simple to be able to get a 100% accurate automated strike zone. I mean, you, I, of course, I think that if you can get as accurate as possible with a, which again, you can't get 100% accuracy, but if you can get as accurate as you think, 99% accuracy, even with a radar gun, and some of the technology they're using now is Statcast. Like, how much, how much more work has to go in to get it even that much better than what we already have for things like Statcast and Baseball Savant, which is my favorite website in the entire world? Like, I don't understand what's taking so long. I think one of the interesting uh, things, or on this topic, is like tennis is a big one. Like, how can how come tennis can do this so quickly and so easily? Um, it's different. It's not as, as simple as like, here's a animated graphic and we're pretty sure the ball hit there and you can see the shadow. It's not that, that easy in baseball. Right. And also it happens 3,000 times a game, not 10 or well, 12. You know, on the broadcast, how when they, there's like the, the, uh, the, like the graphical version or the, almost the cartoon version of where the, the, it looks like the tennis, you know, it shows the, where the pitch is and then it kind of circles around to the front. There's a monitor yep. in the TV booth that shows that for every single pitch. And when I happen to be in the TV booth for games, I'm, I'm fascinated by just watching every single pitch and watching that after every single one. I actually I wonder if TV broadcast would ever just like put that screen like that in a corner or something where you can see the results of every single pitch. I think people would enjoy I'd that. Pay, I'd pay for that. Yeah. I'd pay extra. All right, Ashton. Give a plug for everything you got going on, including your food videos. Okay. ESPN Milwaukee, 94.5 FM, 7 to 9, Jen Gim and Chewy, and the producer there. We do a lot of fun and different and wacky things. Uh, and we even talk some baseball every once in a while, even with everything going on in a certain town up north that I don't want to mention because we already do that enough. And we also talk some bucks right now. Uh, and we also power rank random things because that's what we like to do. Um, also, you can follow me on Twitter if you really want. I retweet stuff. I tweet every once in a while. It's at Ashton underscore Rotman. Or, lastly, you can follow me on Instagram if you want. It's Ashton Rotman 6 I post food videos up there. And every once in a while, I'll run a 5K and I'll post a time up there. And you can watch that and, and you can make fun of me. You used to interact a lot more with me on Twitter. It's very sad. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm on Twitter all the time. I just very often or very rarely do I find something that's worth putting on a public. And for the most part, I'll just text people separately if I have a thought. <laughs> and then that's the end of it. So... I'll start texting you more often when uh, during baseball games now that I'm going to be paying more and more attention as the NBA playoffs up to dwindle down and soccer is kind of on a short hiatus right now because that's another thing I love uh, to be on social media for. Every time I put up an office gift, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I bet Ashton w- would like to. I hope this. Well, I also, hope- Matt, you got to think. like what? I'm going to bed at like 830 and true. I'm shutting off my phone at like 9 o'clock every night because I'm waking up at 4 a.m. And I'm like, all right, I got to at least pretend like I'm sleeping. And it's just it's a whole ordeal. Yeah, so it's like midnight your time now based off that where we're, uh, where we're doing this. So I will let you go. Thank you for doing this, and we will do it again very, very soon. Thanks, Maddie. Ashton Rotman joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to uh, wrap up the program for this week. Brewers have a full week this week, no off days. In fact, they're in a period now where there's only one more off day between now and the All-Star break. That's going to be on Thursday, June 24th. 
when they get done with a uh, with the Colorado Arizona trip. Uh, but outside of that, it's nothing but baseball between now and the All Star break, which is going to be taking place uh, the week of July 12th. But uh, this upcoming week, the Brewers they're going to play uh, three games against the Cincinnati Reds. They've got Eric Lauer, Brett Anderson, and Freddie Peralta lined up for that series. Uh, Victor Gutierrez, Luis Castillo, and uh, Tyler Maley are the uh, projected starters for the Reds for this series. The Brewers just got done taking two of three against Cincinnati uh, about a week or so. They've had good success against Cincinnati. They took two out of three from them uh, in May as well. So, so far, the Brewers, they have taken uh, four of six total against the Reds all in Cincinnati, and now they'll try to uh, come up with some wins coming up uh, this week on uh, at home at American Family Field. A reminder for you for uh, folks that listen to Brewers games on uh, WTMJ. If you tune into WTMJ and there is a Bucks playoff game on, as there was on Sunday, which the Bucks won, that was good. Uh, all you got to do is switch over to 94.5 ESPN. That's 94.5 uh, on the FM dial, dial 94.5 FM ESPN. And uh, the Brewers are uh, bumped to uh, to there when there is a Bucks playoff game that is causing a conflict. So you can always uh, you can always find uh, the Brewers right there. We continue to do our Brewers extra post postgame show on the uh, days that the show is on uh, or the game is on 94.5 ESPN. So just keep that in the back of your mind as uh, hopefully the Bucks continue to play many, many, many more games moving forward. All right, my appreciation to uh, Ashton Rotman for uh, joining us on podcast. Thanks to you for being tuned in, and we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.